former senior military intelligence officer comes forward to say what we've only imagined is true. You are saying to the human race, for the first time, we are not alone. We're definitely not alone. Claims that our government has proof of alien life. We have spacecraft from another species. We do, yeah. How many? Quite a number. Some are landed, some are crashed. Allegations of a secret government program that has hidden the truth, the technology, from the world. There's a sophisticated uh, disinformation campaign targeting the U.S. populace, which is extremely unethical and immoral. And it's totally, totally frightening. I'm not here to throw people in jail. I'm not here for big contractors involved to lose money. I think this is, would be a boon. And I think the leadership in these companies need to think about this, where if we're more open with this, you can hire people, you can push the subject into undergraduate, graduates, and postdoctoral programs of uh, you know, research to study this in an unclassified, just like nuclear physics. And this answers a fundamental question uh, you know, for humanity, are we alone or you know, what happens when we die? Well, I don't know about that, but are we alone? Well, the answer is we're not alone. And I know that with 100% certainty, which as an intel officer, you never say 100%, but all things pointed towards, uh, based on the people I talked to, like Harry Reid, and I use him as an example, but I talked to the highest of the high people possibly talk to to catch my drift. So mm -hmm. unless all of them are lying and they're covering up something else, which I don't even know what it would be at this point, because the phenomenon is real. Hello, welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Robbie Martin. So many people have been asking for this episode. Uh, it's not necessarily considered, you know, one of the more pressing issues or one of the more important issues that we've talked about on this podcast. However, there is great interest in it, and it's something that I'm personally uh, very curious about and very interested in, um, you know, as being a big fan of the X-Files growing up, uh, it was one of my favorite shows, uh, the subject of alien contact, um, extraterrestrials, government conspiracies involving them has always been of great interest to me. Um, but again, mostly from an entertainment sort of infotainment point of view, it was nothing that I've ever seriously integrated into the work that Abby and I have been doing on Media Roots or even just into my personal investigative work or anything like that, like to form my my worldview. Um, that was until the basically the, the really big bombshell UFO disclosure that was seemingly endorsed by mainstream media uh, going on now, I believe three years ago or four years ago. Um, it was, it started kind of as a slow burn, even though uh, there were videos leaked that were officially endorsed and 
confirmed by the Pentagon officially after they got leaked to the New York Times, apparently depicting uh, an encounter with a UAP. Now, um, UAP, I believe, stands for Unknown Aerial Phenomenon. That has become sort of the new term that has replaced unidentified flying object, UFO. Uh, UAP takes on this sort of serious and more societally accepted framework, whereas UFO does not still, even though they essentially mean the same thing. But since this episode is going to be two parts and very in-depth, and it's essentially a follow-up to the UFO episode that Abby and I did about a year ago now or more, um, this one, I think, is going to take probably some weirder twists and turns in the context of, is this all a disinformation campaign? Are we being lied to on multiple levels? Like, not is the government lying to us about knowing about the existence of extraterrestrials, but is the government, for some reason, trying to inflate and amplify a quasi-disclosure-type scenario? Is that happening? And if so, what does that all mean? And when you look more deeply into this concept, what you discover is a lot of this seems to also go on internally meaning that there does seem to be a disinformation campaign or many disinformation campaigns over time designed to convince people high up in the military and intelligence of the existence of U.S. contact with extraterrestrials, either jets encountering, you know, the quote-unquote Foo Fighters or actual, like, visitations between like communications between extraterrestrials and people in the United States government, like straight out of the X-Files or straight out of many different sci-fi stories that we've, you know, known about over the years. So all this being said, I guess I'll just start with what is going to actually be the meat of this podcast. Well, I've, I've mentioned it offhand. I've, I've been talking about it on Twitter on and off for probably the better part of uh, six months now. But this podcast, or a significant part of it, I don't know how much of this is going to be in part two versus part one, but the basically this podcast is centering around what seems to be the new huge escalation step, whatever you want to call it, in this disclosure rollout that is seemingly endorsed by people in the U.S. government, all sorts of people, people in the Pentagon, uh, and now officially dozens of members of Congress, very high up, high ranking, um, and well-known members of Congress. And the person who is at the center of this sort of next major step, major escalation in this quote-unquote disclosure is a man named David Charles Grush. Uh, he goes by David Grush. Now, who is David Grush? Um, David Grush is a man who I believe is 36 years old. Uh, he has had a very long time career in starting in military. 
He did overseas deployments in Afghanistan when he was a young man. And then he immediately went into the intelligence sector of the military. And he, I guess, has a PhD in physics. Um, he did different kinds of education. He got a bachelor's degree um, early in his life. He came back to do more schooling later on. But for the last, I would say, uh, 15 years or so, according to his own resume that he submitted to Congress, he has been involved in signals intelligence, counterintelligence, and military intelligence, um, and seems to have an actual expertise in um, like high-level signals intelligence and counterintelligence. Now, one interesting thing that we do know about David Gresh, or at least he's claimed that hasn't been disputed yet, is that he says that he has the highest level clearance in the United States government, which is called Q clearance. Now, this was something that obviously came up during QAnon, the whole QAnon fiasco, is that Anons, the, the sort of followers of Q, they believed uh, that it was sort of symbolism or a tell or a hint, a blatant hint, that whoever this was, Q, was someone who had Q clearance. And that's how they knew all this stuff that never came to fruition, like Hillary Clinton and John Podesta being uh, ankle braceleted and, and sent to Guantanamo Bay or, or whatever, you know, the multitude of different theories that uh, QAnon claimed. But if you're just listening to this now for the first, or I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're just hearing the name David Grush for the first time now and you have no idea who I'm talking about, or maybe even if you just have a vague idea, let me go over... Um, some of what happened. Now, David Grush calls himself a whistleblower, and his media presence came in tandem with a whistleblower complaint, an official whistleblower complaint he filed at the Pentagon. Uh, he is no longer uh, apparently working at the Pentagon, but he still has classified clearance, according to him. That, as far as I understand it, that is, that is what's happening right now. But just really quickly, I'll give you a brief overview of this timeline. So, of course, we had the New York Times bombshell article that introduced the world to um, Lou Elizondo, who claimed he was the head of the Pentagon's UAP program to study UAPs called ATIP even though we find out later that ATIP was actually not uh, headed by Lou Elizondo and instead was headed by someone who was mainly using a $22 million grant, not grant, basically like pork project that was endorsed by Harry Reid to study mostly Skinwalker Ranch. Now, Lou Elizondo did seem to have some inside knowledge about specific players which I'm going to go into in a little bit more granular detail later, involved in UAP studies within the Pentagon. However, it does appear that he largely misrepresented himself and even misrepresented what agencies did what. So the name ATIP, even though it's a real acronym, uh, what a journalist Tim Greenstreet, uh, who works for the New York Post, discovered, and if you haven't followed him, um, and maybe I'm, is he Matt Greenstreet, Tim Greenstreet? I can't remember his full name. I'll go back to that later. But if you 
If you haven't followed any of the New York Post reporting about UAPs or UFOs in the last couple of years, I highly recommend doing so, even though the New York Post is a grotesque, horrific Rupert Murdoch neocon tabloid. This is an exception. It's actually decently done investigative reporting that was initially coming from a place of like on the fence kind of perspective. But then as this guy became more invested in this topic, he became more of debunking focus because he just started finding so many interesting holes in the story. One of the ones he found was that the initial New York Times reporting by Leslie Keene uh, was seemingly fundamentally flawed because it had it mentioned the acronym in different variations like it broke apart the acronym differently in different versions of the story which is a pretty big error that seemingly was never corrected or set straight so what happened is in green street's reporting he shows that dozens and dozens if not hundreds of different articles that basically were dovetailing off this new york times article had all broken apart the acronym in completely inaccurate ways and at a certain point, there seemed to be almost a dozen different variations, wrong variations of what that acronym broke into, ATIP. This is just a small slice of how the Lou, the original Lou Elizondo story about who he was, what he knew, and what this agency was that he worked for had some major flaws with it. Now, counter to what I just said, the original New York Times reporting by Leslie Keene had in it two videos. I believe two. It wasn't just the one, the gimbal video. It had two videos that were purportedly of um, a UAP. Now, it's not clear at this point. Still not, nobody really knows for sure who leaked those videos and why they were necessarily attached to this New York Times story specifically about Lou Elizondo and ATIP. That's, and after looking at this quite a bit, that still remains a little bit of a mystery to me. Um, now, I think it was presented that way to make it seem like Lou Elizondo was this whistleblower who maybe was bringing forward these videos. But the videos were, it was not described that way in the article. The videos apparently show an encounter between uh, jet pilot David Fravor and several other people from his squadron with the now infamous Tic Tac UFO. This incident happened um, almost 10 years ago or over 10 years ago now, and it hadn't come to light until this New York Times reporting. Now, this sort of triggered a cascade of, of course, we're not alone. The government is now confirming UFOs. Lou Elizondo, you know, seems to be this whistleblower who's who's bringing this out into the public. They can no longer deny it. And lo and behold, the Pentagon actually confirms that those are encounters with unidentified aircraft. So that sort of sealed the deal for this, the momentum that this had going forward. The Pentagon didn't come out and say Lou Elizondo is a fraud. But yes, these videos are real. Nobody really scrutinized Lou Elizondo to the point that he deserved to be scrutinized. Instead, everybody got excited about these videos, and everybody understandably got excited about David Fravor also coming out publicly 
and saying, yeah, those were that, that happened to me. Uh, that video that that was you know leaked to the New York Times. That's a video of the incident I encountered. Um, he seemed very credible. Uh, you know, I think last time I talked about him with Abby, I said, you know, it's possible that some of these people who are disinformation pushers are out there who are like Oscar level or just really good actors. And if let's just say David Fravor is a disinformation agent who is knowingly and willingly pushing a lie for some hidden or or ulterior motive, he's probably the best one that I've ever seen. So that's what makes it so strong is he seems very, very credible. Now, putting aside the idea that eyewitness testimony is subjective and that people never are really sure what they're, what they're seeing necessarily. I I think that his eyewitness testimony and his rank in his history in the military and the fact that the Pentagon confirmed this incident and the videos, uh, all taking all that together gave this the momentum that it, that it, of how we got here. And by here, I mean to the David Grush stage of whatever this operation is. Now to people in the UAP community, uh, the, you know, a lot of them, uh, I think are especially the stronger adherents who buy into a lot of the different individual facets of lore that have been, you know, shuffled through the UAP UFO community for decades. A lot of those people believe that, yeah, this is part of a program, but it's like an insurrection within the military that's been building to this moment. It's finally broken through to the mainstream. You know, you don't understand. People have been trying to blow the whistle on this for forever. And it's only finally gained this much credibility because it's the, the amount of people is just too many who are coming forward, who are, you know, leaking things, etc. Their perspective of, is that this is a program that is deliberately being done by basically like patriots within inside the military who want to expose this for the public good. Now, if you just think about that on a basic level, that the general belief among these more hardcore UFO adherents as they believe that this, what we're witnessing now is sort of a patriotic anti, you know, iron curtain of the government pro public disclosure thing that has just been able to break through to the mainstream because of, of just the amount of effort and bravery that this these people have had within the military. It's essentially patriots in the military or the military sector who are here to not necessarily save humanity, but push humanity into a new era of understanding about what we are. It almost takes on a religious-like, you know, ecstasy-like sort of feeling. These people are heroes, so first of all, you, you have to take a step back from that and say, okay, even if, that, even if you buy into that, you also must believe or you must accept the idea that there is an active disinformation campaign that's also being perpetrated by people in the military who are either going along with a program to deceive the American public or themselves, you know, have some reason to, you know, have ideological um reason for wanting to deceive the public 
that there may be even evil people with evil intent. Now, if you believe that those people also exist, then I think you must at least scrutinize every single person who's sort of come through the UFO circuit as a so-called whistleblower or insider. And, and just because extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof, I think. that's I believe that. So because a lot of this is not being actually shown to us or that we're being given evidence, we're merely being asked to trust these proxies like David Grush, I believe it is of a paramount importance to vet this person to some degree, even if you believe all the UFO lore that there is out there. You should do yourself a service to actually look into this person, make sure he's credible, Make sure there's some kind of paper trail of him outside of this, you know, opaque wall of the intelligence community. But the problem that I think any investigative reporter will run into when trying to cover this story is that there's almost no paper trail at all. There's very little. And most of it seems to revolve around the trust and the respect that he has in the military from his colleagues on the inside, apparently, and his ranking and experience. For me personally, that is very far away from being enough of a credibility ranking. I mean, to have just people vouching for him or also high up in the intelligence community, um, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. I mean, I think even out of the gates, Robert Lazar, at least his backstory seemed to have some more credibility. Like the fact that Los Alamos, for example, tried to um, pretend or deny that he had ever worked there. That was an interesting sort of thing that came up initially when George Knapp did his interview with him, is that there was immediate evidence found that no, he did actually work there. And here's pictures of him and references of him in like internal Los Alamos uh, news reports and things like that. So that, that was pretty, that was a pretty glaring, interesting thing about that original story. So far, we haven't seen anything like that with Grush. Instead, we've heard some of the same similar things we heard Robert Lazar say, like that he was being threatened, that his wife was being threatened. We've heard, David Grush makes similar comments, but actually be a lot less specific about what ha apparently happened to him. Now, the reason I'm even bringing up Robert Lazar at all is because I don't think we had anybody since Robert Lazar who ha seems to have the potential to captivate people to this degree and lend this much credibility to the idea that not only are we not alone, that these uh, alien visitors, whatever, wherever they come from, are out there, but that we actually have recovered spacecraft from these extraterrestrial beings. And the fact that David Grush actually got to testify to Congress and put this into the official record um, makes it, to, in my opinion, way beyond what whatever credibility Robert Lazar achieved. And David Grush is not even saying he's seen anything himself. That's what makes this so interesting. 
Robert Lazar, at least, was able to captivate the imagination by saying he walked into these spacecraft. He saw the tiny furniture. He saw the strange um, metal alloys that were used to make the interior of the ship. He describes the sound of an electric uh, hissing sound, almost like a, a Tesla coil starting up when the UFO lifts off the ground and then immediately becomes silent when it gets to be uh, 30 feet into the air. These are all things he's claiming he saw. David Grush has not said anything like this. Instead, what David Grush has done is he has more or less thrown breadcrumbs to and quote-unquote confirmed things that have already been previously reported in sort of the, the culture of UFO lore. He has not said anything specific enough, to my knowledge, to actually validate uh, the idea that he's bringing actually anything new to the table. So that's another, in my opinion, noteworthy thing about this. What new is he bringing to the table other than his credentials, his clearance level, and his access to Congress? What new is he bringing to the table? He's not saying he's seen any alien bodies. He's not saying he's seen any actual photos of recovered craft. He's not saying he even knows where the recovered craft are. We can infer, or a lot of people have inferred, that he has actually told other people these things. He just can't say it on the record. That he has, that he has told his people who have the same clearance level as him. Or that he may be even be a leaker who is leaking other things to the press about this. Like there's a Daily Mail article that um, was saying pretty much similar things to what David Grush said. Uh, that and, David, and I'll just say this right now, is that David Grush says we have over nine, we, the U.S. government, has in their position over nine recovered US, or alien spacecraft that we're trying to reverse engineer. He stated that multiple times. That's a pretty crazy and specific claim. Right after he uh, came out with this claim, the Daily Mail ran an article saying that they have uh, a whistleblower that's talked to them who's anonymous that says that we have nine recovered spacecraft. They don't say it's Grush. But they do say, they do mention the name of an agency in it. And that agency... Um, is pretty much completely obscure. The only reference that pops up for it when you search for it on Google is like a Google image of some guy, or no, sorry, it's in some guy's LinkedIn page. So let me just say there are some interesting things in all of this reporting that I think are worth analyzing and looking into. Now, I'll go back to this later, this agency name and the Daily Mail follow-up. That's not really super important for what I'm talking about today. But I kind of um, I kind of got sidetracked away from something I wanted to do, which is go through the timeline a little bit of when Grush came out with this stuff and... Uh, what news agencies he managed to get it out to. Because one notable thing about this is that Leslie Keene 
got this story into the New York Times via a contact at the New York Times named Ralph Blumenthal. Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal have historically been very sympathetic to UFO stories in general. So it's not like these two people who were, you know, writing for the New York Times were skeptics or on the fence. They already had sort of an investment in this, in the, uh, the UFO world. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's something that people should know going into this. So who are the people that broke the Grush story? Who are the people that first said his name to the public and were like, this guy is a whistleblower. Here's the things he's saying. And he made a whistleblower complaint because he feels he's getting stonewalled on something that the American public needs to know about. Well, it was none other than Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal. Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Keene actually tried to get this story traction in the New York Times again. Uh, For some reason, this one the New York Times rejected. Maybe it was because they didn't have a goddamn shred of evidence. Their first article probably mainly got into the New York Times because of those videos, the power of those videos alone. And then the fact that they were confirmed by the Pentagon, it kind of set that in stone. The Lou Elizondo stuff, I don't know if the New York Times bothered to really scrutinize that as much, but it seemed like they didn't care as much about the false or inaccuracies in that side of the story, which when it was really mostly about Skinwalker Ranch. Lou Elizondo was not part of the head of some kind of Pentagon UAP monitoring project. He had a very small role in uh, the Skinwalker Ranch pork project hoax. But let's, let's continue a little bit. So Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal tried to get this into the New York Times, tried to get it to the Washington Post. They tried to, I think, get it to USA Today. They also tried to get it on TV news. Um, the Washington Post seemed to take some interest, and they were saying that we're just vetting all this information. Um, we're still interested in, in probably running this story, but we just want to vet things, make sure it's, it's solid. And, uh, and then we'll get back to you. Uh, Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal then claimed that uh, David Gruss started getting very, very serious threats against his life. Uh, phone, telephone threats. And because of this, they felt that they needed to run with the story right away. So the only news agency that took the story immediately uh, was this website called The Debrief. Now, the debrief, um, it's a pretty obscure website, um, and it also has a lot of stuff, has actually an entire section about UAP. So it claims it's like a, you know, it's meant to look like it's a serious news outlet, but in actuality, it is a a news outlet that is very sympathetic to stories about UFO and probably has run a lot of hoaxes and other things over the years, I would assume. But this article that Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal published in the debrief on June 5th, 2023, um, is extremely extensive. Um, it has, it's just filled with a ton of pictures of David Grush to make him seem like he's this, you know, good old boy, loyal, um, uh, you know, military guy. He's very credible. Um, but then it also mentions that, a guy named Charles McCullough III 
who's a senior partner of the Compass Rose Legal Group in Washington and the original Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, confirmed by the U.S. Senate in 2011, um, that McCullough filed a disclosure of urgent concern, complaint of reprisal on behalf of Grush with the ICIG about detailed information that Grush had gathered beginning in 2019 while working for the UAP task force. An unclassified version of the complaint provided to us states that Grush has direct knowledge that UAP-related classified information had been withheld and or concealed from Congress by elements of the intelligence community, quote, to purposely and intentionally thwart legitimate congressional oversight of the UAP program. All testimony Grush provided for the classified complaint was provided under oath. According to the classified complaint, sorry, according to the unclassified complaint in July 2021, Grush had confidential Grush had confidentially provided classified information to the Department of Defense Inspector General concerning the withholding of UAP related information from Congress. He believed that his identity and the fact that he had provided testimony were disclosed to individuals or entities within the Department of Defense and the intelligence community outside the IG's office. He did not allege that this information was improperly disclosed by any member of that office. As a result, Grush suffered months of retaliation and reprisals related to these disclosures beginning in 2021. He asked that details of these reprisals be withheld to protect the integrity of the ongoing investigation. The Intelligence Community Inspector General found his complaint credible and urgent in July 2022. According to Grush, a summary was immediately submitted to the Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. A whistleblower reprisal investigation was launched, and Grush began his communication with the staff of the Congressional Intelligence Committees in private closed-door sessions. According to Grush, certain information which he obtained in his investigation could not be put before congressional staffers because they did not have the necessary clearances or the appropriate investigative authority. The original article, I mean, I mean, so basically the, the, the headline, the, the real um, headline of this article, in case I didn't read it already, probably didn't. And this was the, this was the big breaking story, apparently, from it is intelligence officials say U.S. has retrieved craft of non-human origin. Now, the officials, plural, comes from the fact that uh, they're, they're including in that former people who have like been like in UFO woo land, going to UFO conventions, who are from intelligence, who have said things about this. But they're also claiming that other people who are currently in intelligence sector are corroborating this off the record. So the headline, intelligence officials say, is sort of misleading because the only intelligence official they have on the record who is part of this specific claim having to do with this right now is David Grush. Now, just an example of what agencies he was part of, just so you can understand like the military intelligence background he has. He's a veteran of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, the NGA, and the National Reconnaissance Office, the NRO, 
He served as the Reconnaissance Office's representative to the United Aerial Phenomena Task Force from 2019 to 2021. Now, the main big claim that Grush made in this article is that Grush said the recoveries of partial fragments through and up to intact vehicles have been made for decades through the present day by the government, its allies, and defense contractors. Analysts have determined that the objects retrieved are of exotic origin based on the vehicle morphologies and material science testing in the possession of unique atomic arrangements and radiological signatures, he said. We are not talking about prosaic origins or identities. The materials includes intact and partially intact vehicles. Now, according to the debrief, this is, I think, very, very interesting that they put this in here because I think this is key. I've, I've been saying, you know, from the very beginning of this broadcast that this is a new type of disclosure that is basically Pentagon sponsored and with their stamp of approval. They confirmed the leaked videos to the New York Times, which almost implies that they're the ones who leaked them, that it wasn't like a whistleblower that leaked them or an insider who leaked them who's got in trouble for it. Because uh, then David Fravor then goes all over the news and doesn't seem to have any repercussions. Same with Leo Elizondo. But it says in the debrief article that Grush's on-the-record statements to the Defense Office of Pre-Publication and Security Review at the Department of Defense were all, quote, cleared for open publication on April 4th and 6th, 2023, in documents provided to us. I mean... That's I think that's really, really key, because why would the Defense Office of Pre-Publication and Security Review at the Department of Defense authorize him to just come out and start saying to the press that the U.S. government is in possession of several retrieved intact UFOs that come from aliens? That is pretty fucking crazy. Not, the, not that I, because I believe the claim but that the Pentagon would essentially authorize him to go out and say this. That is very fascinating, and you have to wonder why that is. How is it that these whistleblowers are making some of the most earth-shattering claims that we've ever heard in our lives, blowing the whistle on what has apparently been one of the most secretive programs that David Grush has also said people have been killed to keep it secret? I mean, he's basically said that. And, and, and he's out there doing this and, and seems like he's fine. Something does not add up just on that fact alone. Just on that alone is odd. Now, this is also interesting because we don't, this is still all very opaque. The article claims that Grush in 2022 provided Congress with hours of recorded classified information transcribed into hundreds of pages which included specific data about the materials recovery program. Congress has not been provided any, with any physical materials related to wreckage or other non-human objects. I mean, it just, it's, it's so, okay. I mean, let me just say this, that this is, this is strange because it's still not really being clear about what do people in Congress have? Um, what were they given? What are they, what, what kind of classified documents have they actually gotten their eyes on it? And what, how did that shift or move the needle for them? Is that why some of them seem so open to Grush by the time that he actually does testify to Congress? 
less than two months later, that's possible. But what is it that he gave them? What did he give them? We don't really know that at this point. Now, the very next um, news report about this came from uh, News Nation. And News Nation, in case you're unaware of what News Nation is, it seems to be sort of came out of nowhere, extremely well-funded, um, seems to be kind of trying to poach big reporters from other news networks. Like it got this guy, Ross Colhart from channel four news in Australia. Uh, it got, um, what's his name? Andrew Cuomo, not Andrew Cuomo. Who the fuck's his brother? Chris Cuomo got Chris Cuomo from CNN. And now he's one of their main reporters, but it seems to really only be on YouTube in like an online player, kind of like Russia today. Well, at least Russia Today actually was on television. I don't think News Nation is. So it, whatever it is, it's a very well-funded network. And it has been really capitalizing on this sort of all this UFO news stuff. It's almost like the business model for it was, you know, there's a lot of like news that people want to read about, like stuff like UFOs and other things that mainstream media won't really touch that much that we could be having like the top viewed videos on YouTube about and be making, you know, for every million views, however many dollars uh, that that generates from the clicks for advertising revenue. And it seems like that's what they've done because they have something like over a hundred very, very high view count UAP videos that are all monetized. Um, and the David Grush story especially seemed to really sort of kind of, you know, um, like boost them as well, uh, boost News Nation. Now, on June 5th, the same day this debrief article came out, News Nation had already recorded what appeared to be a full-length interview with David Grush via uh, the guy who interviewed him was Ross Colhart, the, this Australian news reporter. And in this interview is, I think, where most people got you know, their, their mind sort of blown. It wasn't this debrief article because let's face it. It's like whatever, even if the debrief is credible, which I don't, it doesn't look credible to me. It's just all text. It's all a story. And it's, you know, since it's not coming out of the New York times, it has a lot less credibility. It doesn't have any videos with it. It just has photos of this guy who looks like a good, good old boy, goody two shoes, military guy. I don't think it was until this news nation interview that they aired clips on from on June 5th did it really sort of set in that this guy is basically the new Robert Lazar except with Q clearance and with access to members of Congress and he's out he's in this interview basically saying all the things that were discussed in that debrief article I just read you but way more over the top that's for the first time when he reveals that he believes that uh extraterrestrials or non-human intelligence has actually harmed or even killed humans. And that's been kept secret from the government or that's been kept secret from the public. And in addition to that, he also insinuated that people, uh, humans have been murdered by people in the U S government to keep the program or to keep them secret. He insinuates both. He also insinuates that we have non-human biologics, which 
can translate to we have alien bodies. He also, in this interview, uh, says that the first time that we have on record, at least that he found, of this program was the Italian government under Mussolini during World War II recovered a bell-shaped UFO that had crashed and they had brought it to some hangar in Italy uh, to study. And when Mussolini was defeated and when, you know, the United States, uh, Russia, England basically fucking, you know, took all that shit over, uh, according to David Grush, Pope Pius X then collaborated with the U.S. government to uh, let them know that this ha- that they had access to this UFO. So what Grush is insinuating is that the Catholic Church was somehow involved in one of the first, like the, the top authorities in the Catholic Church, the Vatican, was involved in the first UAP recovery on record, according to these classified documents he's seen, that he says he's seen. So he says this in the interview. Now, just stating for the record, this is something that's already actually existed in UFO lore, talked about on Art Bell. This has been around for a long time, the bell-shaped UFO that Mussolini, Mussolini's Italy found that, that crashed. And even the, the, the so, supposed collaboration with the Catholic Church and the recovery and this, how the Vatican stored it and then gave it to the U.S. government, all that is all comes from UFO lore. So it's interesting to hear David Grush say himself in some of these interviews that I had no idea about any of this stuff. I didn't believe in UFOs at all until 2019 when I started you know, being talked to and, and looking into this stuff. And But he knows an awful lot about UFO culture and the lore contained within it. He knows a lot more than me. Um, and it, to me, it appears that he's been studying it or at least being fed it by someone else for many, many years, probably predating 2019, but who knows? Maybe he's, maybe that is sincere that since 2019, that's when he first made aware of it or started becoming a believer. But just the fact that he's claiming that this was the first sort of time that we have it on record is is notable too, that it's a pre-existing piece of UFO fiction or lore. Then he goes on to say that uh, Roswell um, was real and we have the bodies from that. And he basically implies that that was exactly, you know, the same as or not much different from the version we've heard in UFO lore forever. He then insinuates that aliens have been here for maybe thousands of years and that from their perspective, maybe they never, they don't feel like we humans actually have domain over this planet, that maybe they've been here longer than us. He dabbles in the ancient aliens uh, theorizing. Um, I don't think in this interview he dabbles in the concept of like if they're religious or if they're angels or demons or anything like that. Now he does dabble into that later, which is, which is also noteworthy um, as well, but not in this interview. Instead, in this interview, 
he keeps things mostly in the X-Files realm. Um, he does bring up uh, abductions, I believe. He does bring up that. And he does bring up how he thinks the government should needs to look into that because he is absolutely 100% convinced uh, that everything about this UAP crash recovery program is real, including the fact that we have non-human... Um, uh, we have alien bodies, basically, biologics, and recovered intact craft. Nine of them. Now, in the same interview... He also makes the astonishing claim that he believes and he is convinced of the fact that the U.S. government also is in contact with these entities, has been in communication with them, that, that it's actually an ongoing thing. He also implies that it's a, it's a level of career like bureaucrats who basically control all this and that they have links to the private sector and government. He claims that the aerospace companies, the defense companies, some of them may even have recovered craft and are secretly working with the U.S. government to reverse engineer these technologies and to keep them secret. He claims his motives for blowing the whistle, even though he seemed perfectly safe for making for blowing the whistle on one of the, the most secret, craziest program of all time. He claims he's blowing the whistle because he wants to advance the aerospace industry and to help secure the United States homeland uh, from potential adversaries. And he also claims that he wants to, um, he, he wants us to be able to get ahead with technology and actually give, you know, if these aerospace companies, he says the defense companies actually do have this stuff, then they need to make it public so that they can hire the top recruits from the university, the smartest you know, physicists and all this stuff to like reverse engineer this so we can win the uh, the quantum gravity drive space race, I guess, before Russia and China does. And he also seems to think that um, he, that this is, that the, the American people need to know this. But here are, the, here are the things that I need to stop and say. The two motives I just gave you are the two main motives he's continually leaned on for why he feels like he needs to disclose this. He wants to advance the aerospace industry and protect the United States of America from any adversaries, foreign or domestic or extraterrestrial. Does that sound like the normal reaction you'd have, even as a career military guy, if you came to the knowledge or proof that the U.S. government had in its possession nine crash UFOs, intact ones. Wouldn't something that earth-shattering that you were made privy to shift your entire understanding of reality so much that, that maybe you just feel like people deserve to know this is the reality they're living in? We can't hide this from people on just a basic level of morality, of principle of what it means to be human, that we are not alone. How many people who already believe this, who will feel like they're not crazy anymore, to let those people go of the stigma that's attached to it, to that we are adults and we can handle the information and, and move on from there and see what that's like. He, for something so earth-shattering and that would change society forever... The amount of weight he's putting on it seems surprisingly light, I would say. 
surprisingly light. And I'm and this is coming from someone, me, who thinks that he may actually be sincere in what he's saying, that he may believe a lot of what he's saying and he's actually not lying. Maybe instead someone has actually tricked him into believing this intentionally for a disinformation campaign to get someone with Q level clearance who's high up enough for some reason or another to confirm this to a point where it's sort of set in history. Those two leaked videos, those supposedly leaked, I think they could have been deliberately leaked. Those two videos, the gimbal tic-tac video and the other one, those will be in history books now as a turning point of when the U.S. government acknowledged that we are not alone. Unless they're proven to be an elaborate hoax, that is going to be how they're seen in history. I think we need to let that sink in. That just like if think about 40 years from now, what that's what that's going to be seen as. But what does this all mean? Well, going back to what I was saying that you know, kind of some parallels to QAnon here. What this means is that not even the president, not even people in the White House, not even other world leaders seem to have the knowledge about the actual nature of our universe and understand what we're really dealing with like people in the U.S. military do, people in, in, the, in the military sector do. These people are privileged to experiences and knowledge of contact with extraterrestrial beings that are more advanced and intelligent than us. That is a massive, not only responsibility, but a massive amount of authority that this gives a group like the U.S. military. Now, let's just zoom out a little bit again from this. What other group in history, what other religious group, what other government in history has been assigned special privileges, powers, and knowledge as that. I would say you, might, you would be hard-pressed to find any other organization other than the U.S. military that's been, that special powers like that have been attributed to, that these people have communicated with, they've tried to dogfight with, they have bodies of alien species, they have... Air, they have nine aircraft. I mean, this basically makes the U.S. military almost like God level. You know, screw nukes, screw sophisticated bioweapons, nanotechnology, whatever the fuck. They have alien technology. They have alien tech. I mean, that is basically, I mean, it, really think about it. It is very similar to, and way more powerful than, actually, the idea that secret patriots within the U.S. government are going to take down the deep state and expose all the deep state criminals and they're all going to go to jail. That's, that's chicken shit. Nothing. Chicken scratch. <laughs> Compared to the idea that the U.S. government actually has been keeping this extremely earth-shattering secret for this long and that we may be on the cusp of having it blown wide open. And that the government, even though they've been able to keep this extremely terrifying secret for this long, that they're basically going to be forced into disclosure because there's just too much pressure at this point. I mean, 
on so many psychological levels, I think it really, it does a lot of damage, I think, to actually buy into that. On one level, it's basically believing that the U.S. military is, is one step away from being close to God. I mean, even if aliens were abducting regular people out of their bedrooms, regular people don't have claim to have recovered UAPs or UFOs intact. This is a claim that seems only unique to the U.S. government. Or even if there's, even if Grush later comes out and says, well, Russia, I can now say that Russia has two, China has one, Israel claims they have one, and another country claims they have one. We still have nine. We still have nine. That means that we're the closest to understanding the aliens We've been we've been on top of this the longest, and we may that it might even mean we're just more like the aliens favor interactions with us specifically because we're special. So again, U.S. military is basically God in this scenario. The patriots inside the U.S. military. I mean, it's almost like, but not just the patriots, because there's these people who are on the inside who have been hiding it from us and deceiving the public. But they still almost have godlike powers. Now, is there some spin to this that will eventually happen where it's basically like we haven't been told about this because if we knew, it would be awful. Like there's no way the military could have told us because of X, Y, and Z. Who knows if there's going to be spin like that in the future? That, well, the military couldn't tell us because basically the aliens control the military and everybody, everything on the planet, and we're just all like cattle in a giant farm, and the military, you know, what are they going to do? Tell us, tell everybody that, and just make everybody really depressed and, and understand that their life is meaningless? No. I mean, I'm, that wouldn't even work. I'm just saying, what could possibly be the reason why they've kept it a secret? that would be acceptable to people in the American public who are hardcore UFO believers That's at this point. Nothing. Nothing. Now, David Grush, um, he elaborated on his claim in a follow-up interview with the French newspaper La Parisienne on June 7th, two days after these original breaking stories. And he told them that UFOs could be coming from extra dimensions that he had spoken with intelligence officials whom the U.S. military had briefed on, quote, football field-sized crafts. Now, only about four days later, News Nation airs the entire interview with David Grush. And it is very much in the tradition of and in the style of uh, the original, very classic and now infamous interview with Robert Lazar, uh, where he's fully de-anonymized because the very first interview George Knapp did with Lazar was actually uh, anonymous. He appeared in shadow uh, over like a, like a TV link up. Uh, but in the original full length, George Knapp, Robert Lazar interview, uh, he's no longer anonymous. He says his full name. He says where he says he worked. Um, but George Knapp, who's largely considered like a UFO kook by a lot of people, um, I would say he's less of a kook than a lot of people. I would say he's bought into stuff that's made some of his other stuff seem more kooky by association. 
But in general, it does seem like initially, at least when he was first reporting on this stuff um, in Las Vegas, that he was more skeptical of it. And the tone he takes in his interview with Lazar, at least the framing of the whole cut together segment, seems more skeptical of Lazar than this News Nation interview does of Grush. And perhaps part of that is because um, Grush does have the high level of military access that he's had. That's unclear. But the interviewer doesn't really ever emphasize too much or too strongly that, well, this is these are the craziest claims anyone has ever made. Can you prove any of this to me or anyone? Or is this going to be proven anytime soon? Are you going to be vindicated? Because a lot of people after they watch us, will think you're nuts and that you're making this all up. Or that even worse, you might be a disinformation agent sent by the government to spread lies to us and confuse us. I mean, to me, these would be the basic questions to ask somebody who's coming forward with these claims. Instead, at no point during the interview is he asked anything like that. And the next major event uh, that included Grush was the now world-famous um, congressional testimony on July 26 at a congressional hearing. And this took place um, in conjunction with David Fravor, the pilot who uh, made the eyewitness testimony of the Tic Tac encounter, and another pilot who claims to have had um, interactions with or knows for sure about the existence of UAPs, Ryan Graves, who but personally never had an experience himself directly, um, they all testified together. Now, in his congressional hearing, Grush said, quote, that he was informed in the course of my official duties of a multi-decade UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program to which I was denied access and that he believes that the U.S. government is in possession of UAP based on his interviews with 40 witnesses over four years. Now, during this, um, this testimony, um, there are several moments where Congress people actually ask him really specific, very direct questions. What defense companies have these materials? What defense companies are in on this? What defense companies are getting money to study or be part of these um, UAP retrieval programs? Where are they storing these? Are they storing them in multiple places? If so, where? Who's, who's in charge of this? What people are involved? What people have knowledge about these recovered alien bodies? All of these questions were asked of him of, of high-ranking Congress members, including even AOC, Matt Gates, all these people asking him questions like this. Pretty fascinating to watch and definitely historical just by the mere fact that this is some of the kookiest shit that's ever been testified into the congressional record in history. That alone is absolutely fascinating. The fact that no other mainstream media networks endorsed the Grush story, except for News Nation, um, and, and some of these smaller outlets, it's fascinating that it got to Congress like this. But every time these questions were asked of Grush, including even just basic questions like, what kinds of threats were made against you and, and what happened? 
Tell us about what kind of reprisals happen when you try to blow the whistle. He refuses to answer any question at all that I, any of the questions I just threw out there, he refuses to answer. And the one, well, I said, say he doesn't refuse to answer. Most of them, he actually says that he can answer or try to answer, but only in a classified setting, in a skiff. Intelligent extraterrestrials. Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> um, if you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness? Like, how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and you may or may not be able to answer my last question, and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government either, what agency, sub-agency, what contractors, who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And, and you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors? He uses the word skiff about 15 times during this uh, congressional testimony. Now, what is a skiff? Well, let me tell you what a skiff is. A skiff is a sensitive compartmented information facility in the United States military national security and intelligence parlance. It is an enclosed area within a building that is used to process sensitive compartmented information types of classified information. This is what I find interesting about this is because let's compare this to Edward Snowden's sort of theatrics um, that, you know, he didn't really necessarily talk about, very much, and neither did Glenn Greenwald, but they're very apparent in the whole ordeal if you watch the movie Citizen Four. There were some very theatrical elements to the way Edward Snowden um, sort of pushed this all on Greenwald. And we already know about the Rubik's Cube identification, where if you see a guy with a Rubik's Cube in the hallway, in the lobby, doing this, it's me, and da-da-da. We already know about that stuff, but if you haven't watched Citizen Four, some of the other interesting things in that show that Edward Snowden was, you know, while in the hotel room with Laura Poitras and Glenn Greenwald, he was hiding under blankets while typing on his computer because he thought that there were pinhole cameras in the ceiling or in the smoke detectors. He was putting people's cell phones inside Tupperware containers and turning them off because he felt that the microphones could come on and, you know, we need to put them in Tupperware. So if, if they're trying to listen, even with the batteries off, uh, that at least it'll be muffled. I think these theatrical things just sort of amped up the atmosphere and made people like Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitras feel like they're basically in a spy movie. Similar thing happening here by basically telling all these Congress people. Yeah, uh, I could try to answer that, but we have to do it in a skiff and you have to have the proper clearance. Um, how many of these people have the proper clearance? 
as far as I know, only like the Gang of Eight, which is a very small group of senators, actually have top clearance. So who what is he going to be able to tell these people? What did he tell them already? Did they go into a skiff? There's almost no follow-up reporting that I can find about him going to a skiff. Um, I tried to look up any statements by any of these Congress people who interacted with them about going to a skiff. Um, and I cannot find anything about if he went to a skiff or not with any of them afterwards. So that's that's an odd sort of James Bondian. It seems very, there's a lot of intrigue and, and, and um, theatrics to that. Uh, but at the same time, Grush does seem like a career military intelligence guy who loves sort of being with the in-group. He likes using the terminology a lot. I mean, the amount of times he uses scat skiff instead of just a secure facility is pretty insane. Um, he uses the word sorties a couple times to like kind of give like a, and he seems to almost like it makes him giddy when he's using these insider military terms. Um, so that, you know, it makes me think that he is very sincerely a military guy. But I guess the question is, is he knowingly lying or pushing lies or disinformation onto the American public about this? And if so, wouldn't that make him, the only explanation for if he's doing that, probably wouldn't be, I, at least not to me, it wouldn't be for the money, because at least right now, there's no book in the works. It doesn't seem like he's doing very much press at all. Maybe, I mean, maybe News Nation paid him a million dollars. I have no idea. Did they pay him anything? I don't know. I'm guessing he got paid something, but maybe not. Um, and if that's the case, then what is the actual objective here if he is lying? Um, someone with that much inside access... I can only come to one conclusion, and that would be that he's some kind of active disinformation agent. But what if it's actually more complicated than that? What if it's somewhere in between? What if David Grush is completely sincere, that he might have been chosen as an emissary or a proxy for a disinformation campaign that's coming through him maybe without even his uh, his full awareness. Now, he's actually spoken to this before by saying, you know, I I was worried about that. When I first started being shown this stuff, I was I was worried about that that I could be being tricked that you know, maybe uh this is not real and that people want me to believe this stuff. So, I've got to be blunt about this. Yeah. You're not making this up. This no. is not a lie. No, absolutely not. Because everybody watching this right now is looking at your face. Mm -hmm. They're going, is this guy for real? I am for real. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting here at great personal risk and obvious professional risk by talking to you today. You've told us that we really are not alone. Even though you believe what you say is true, you haven't been fed disinformation. It's a common thing in intelligence for governments to mislead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was very sensitive to that fact 
Um, you know, was this some kind of ruse against me? Uh, am, am I being used in any kind of way? Um, and I took about four years being very methodical before I filed my, my whistleblower complaint to be absolutely certain of these basic facts. Yeah. So take me through the process of how you convinced yourself. Then there's a certain point where he's like, you know, I can say with 100% certainty that this is real and that I wasn't being lied to. Because at this point, he doesn't have any evidence to show himself to the public. Best case scenario, he's had stuff that he's shown to Congress, according to that debrief news uh, article he has. But has he? We don't know for sure. I, I don't think any Congress people have spoken directly to what information they have that we don't have from him yet. That's worth looking into. There's a surprising lack of actual follow-up investigative reporting into this story. The Intercept did a couple good pieces. One of them was more of just like a personal airing out of his dirty laundry, where it showed that he had a history of um, some mental illness, uh, that I guess there was a police report made because he was threatening suicide at some point. Now, I don't think that that makes him any less credible as a human being if he had a history of mental illness. I mean, he even says himself that, um, you know, he had to learn how to be like a better speaker and a better to interact with people better in a less awkward way because he got diagnosed as having um, mild autism when he was like in his 30s that he had no idea that he had. So he himself has been self-deprecating enough to say that um, and like he's not implying that he's like perfect person with a perfect mental health record. But I just thought of this. It's something else I wanted to interject before we moved on from just analyzing his personality. Um, I know it's pseudoscience and I know that it's, you know, it's not a real metric on how to gauge any of this stuff. But I would say some of the most in-depth uh, videos or any type of content I've absorbed that really dives deep on trying to analyze the truthfulness of David Grush are people on YouTube who do body language analysis. Um, and some of the reactions they have, some of the, the things that they say about his mannerisms, about some of his, his speech patterns... Uh, about the things that giveaway tells about the things that he gets excited about giddy about that he talks about and the things that he actually seems to have some like personal beef about on an emotional level. It's all very interesting. I mean, I can't particularly recommend any specific YouTube channel that does this, but if you type David Grush um, body language um, into YouTube, you'll find probably about a dozen videos and um, there are a couple of them that are very long, very in-depth. One of them is like three hours long. I watched the whole fucking thing. Um, and I think that probably the most interesting aspect of it is none of the people in it come to the for sure conclusion that he is not being truthful or that he is deliberately telling lies. And I think that's important because that's, I mean, look, if he seemed like, if there was obvious things about him where it's like, this dude's a liar, um, I think there'd be a lot more people calling him out. The, the issue is, he does seem like he's earnest. But yet, there are things that they pick up on 
that I think are also really interesting and do poke some holes in his earnesty. For example, he really makes a big deal about his own mental health struggles. He even errors out the fact um, that he had some really bad uh, period of mental health struggles, that he had PTSD, he says, from Afghanistan. He doesn't directly reference the claims in the Intercept article about the, the suicidal ideations and things like that. Um, but he, he's not denying it. Um, and that's like another level of like, you know, I'm be, I'm, let's be honest here. Like I did have mental health struggles. I did have PTSD, etc. But the body language expert guys that I was watching, they picked up on the fact that he seems like, um, very, very TV ready. Pretty much all the body language experts that I watched had the impression that he had training in media relations or just training as a speaker. Um, and he even speaks to that a little bit, that he's tried to become like a better, you know, uh, like I just mentioned, like he's tried to be better at speaking, um, you know, get over some of these like crutches that he's had throughout his life, the undiagnosed autism, etc. But I think what stands in the face of all that is undeniably this dude is very coached very well trained for being tv ready um and i say tv ready because you know he's only done maybe like one actual live tv appearance like on news nation after the schumer amendment didn't pass and he was like brief it was like five minutes long nothing special uh even though the other interviews he's done are not live tv which i think adds another a whole other level of anxiety for, let's say, the average person for appearing on television. I just think in general, if you've ever had the opportunity, and it's not a fun one, I mean, I got interviewed by a 2020 news crew, uh, ABC news crew, when I did the beheading hoax video, and it was a nightmare. I mean, they basically wasted my whole day just to, you know, try to insult me and and my friend who, who made the video with me. Um, and it was really nerve-wracking. It's really nerve-wracking. I mean, and duplicitous, too. It's like, you never really know, in my experience, at least, you never really know if a reporter who's driven all the way to see or even flown out to, with the TV crew to come interview you, if they're going to do a bait-and-switch where they've sort of been leading you on or kind of being on your good side or ingratiating themselves to you. And then in the actual interview, they flip it up and are actually just like pissed. You know, they act like they're, that you did something wrong. You know, in the case of the beheading hoax, that's what it was. The producer of the show in communication with us thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Apparently uh, when I was talking to ABC news via email and then the reporter who comes to interview us is just like, Will you apologize to Nick Berg's father? It's like, what the fuck is this shit? So that's one thing. It's like even David Grush talking to News Nation, Ross Colhart, even if he was talking to Ross Colhart leading up to this interview and he seemed like Ross Colhart was, was going to do a friendly, non-adversarial interview, you still have nerves. Any smart, savvy person who has any experience with TV stuff at all will understand what I'm saying, that you you will have nerves. Any regular person who has no TV experience would have nerves getting interviewed by a TV news crew. 
it's not just Ross Colhort sitting across from him at News Nation. It's a whole fucking crew, okay? That's how these things are done. I mean, the News Nation seems like they have a, a very big budget. So my point is, he hasn't really explained why, and no one's really asking why he's so TV ready. Lou Elizondo, yeah, he seemed TV ready, but not on the. I, I don't think anywhere near on the level that Grush is. I don't think Lou Elizondo would have the balls to go on uh, the Joe Rogan show for a whole hour. Maybe actually, I could be wrong. Maybe he already has. But that's my impression of him is that he seems like he's a little more wanting to control the narrative. Um, he's got some more like of a paranoid crank persona to him. Whereas Grush seems like this very affable, very friendly, very easy to talk to. You know, I'm even doing the, the cadence of his voice. And uh, it's, it's a, there's a pleasantness to him. Even though the energy is off in, in certain media appearances he's done, where you could tell there's not as much rapport, the fact that there's so much rapport and so little anxiety with him in this lengthy Channel 4 news interview with Ross Colhart, I think is extremely notable. I mean, look at his congressional testimony. Can you imagine how many like people in the UFO crank community, if they were sitting at a congressional hearing like that, like just the tells they would give away about like when they got nervous or flustered or were trying to reach for an answer... Grush seems extremely on point. And maybe I'm giving him a little too much praise here in this area, but I'm telling you, as someone who personally had to get stressed out watching Abby, trying, you know, and she did an amazing job for how little experience she had, trying to basically do a live television show every day of the week. And also having to film segments for that same show all throughout the day to then have it all come together in a live TV broadcast where she's on camera live going out to millions of people. And I remember just being astonished thinking like, you know, I could tell when, you know, just being Abby's brother, I could tell when she was nervous. Maybe people at home couldn't fully tell. And she definitely got better over time when she was on live TV. But like that was nerve wracking to be in the RT studio and be like, holy shit, I never actually sat here and thought about what it was like to be in Abby's shoes doing a live TV show. And then when I finally got the chance to go on her show, um, you know, just to be interviewed on a taped segment, it was fucking, it was extremely intense, extremely intense. It's not like they do second takes or let's do another take of that. There's such a rushed you know, everybody's on the clock. Like you get, you only really get one shot even on like a pre-taped thing. So it almost feels just as nerve wracking as like a live TV spot. So my point in saying all this is you cannot deny that it is suspicious and strange that David Grush seems to be so ready for live TV interviews. Um, seemingly more ready than even Robert Lazar, because if you I think maybe I already mentioned this broadcast or maybe I didn't, but Robert Lazar's first TV interview appearance was in a van on someone's driveway in a mysterious location where he was completely in shadow and all you could hear was his voice. And 
he did seem to get better as he did more interviews, but I don't even think Robert Lazar was as good TV ready as David Grush. Um, and because of David Grush's resume and because he's not saying things as over the top as Lazar, because he's not even saying he saw these things directly and gives it all more of an air of credibility, the TV readiness, um, his affability, his credentials. And that to me is impressive and it needs to be questioned more. If you look at his resume, other than working as an adjunct professor at a college at one point, um, it doesn't seem like he has many jobs that required like any speaking in front of a large group of people. So I think that's a learned ability for most people. And I think someone in intelligence who's also, he says that he's autistic. It is not, it is very unusual to have that good of a smooth ability to, to seamlessly get into the media sector like this. I mean, even the, the most famous people who are doing this, Christopher Mellon, Lou Elizondo, Jeremy Corbell, uh, George Knapp, all these personalities who are involved in this, none of them, in my opinion, are as seem as TV ready or as affable as David Grush. So that's a really important factor here. And that's something, just going back to what I said about the body language people, they weren't, you know, they didn't think he was that affable from their perspective. In fact, a lot of them actually said, this is boring. You know, for someone, I think one of them brought up a similar point to my own gut reaction to it originally, which is, if you really believe you are bringing, delivering this information to the American public that's been kept secret this long, it is awfully uncompelling Something about it feels lacking excitement, and it kind of lands like a dud considering the gravity of the content you're bringing. And that's also odd, because what is it about it? Is it just because he keeps avoiding answering specifics and is able to keep saying, well, I can't say that, that's not at my classification level, or let's go in a skiff, or whatever the fuck. Is it just because of that, or is it also just because maybe it is boring, is that possible? Is it possible that somehow David Grush has turned or or shaped the overall UFO folk tale narrative into something that is much more boring and dry and kind of not that interesting? Well, I would say, yeah, that's that's kind of going on too. Because if every time you're talking to someone and they're telling you an interesting story, and then every time they're about to get to an important detail that will really make that story pop, they're like, well, I can't talk about that specific part of the story now. Uh, maybe some other time if I can get clearance. But here's, let me just move on to the next part of the story. That, that, and then they keep trying to tell you a story. At a certain point, you wouldn't just be frustrated by it. You'd be bored by it. You'd be like, okay, this is boring. You've taken out all the meat, all the things that really would add special sauce to the story. And you've also just sort of taken some of the magic out of it, too, and just made it seem like, you know, this cut and dry thing. <laughs> 